and seek to hear from him and whatever he has, it's for all of us and it's good to hear that. And um, we are right now in a series, it's called The Call, and um, uh, we've been listening. Uh, what is the call of God for your life? Have you all stopped to ask that question? Have you thought about that? What is the call of God for me? What is the call of God for you? Um, before I continue, let's pray, yeah? Let's pray. So just right there where you are, just close your eyes, bow your head. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we honor you. Every single day, Lord, every breath that we take, just to give you praise and, and worship and adore you. We thank you for today. We thank you that we are able to be in your house. We thank you, Lord, that your word speaks to us. And we just pray that um, you come and speak to our hearts today. I pray, Lord, that every ear be opened, every heart, Lord, be ready, every heart be good soil to receive your word. I pray, Lord, that the fruit of the word will develop in each one. But right now, Lord, I just pray uh, in this atmosphere, Lord, peace, in this atmosphere, tranquility, in this atmosphere, Lord, just your peace, Lord, hovering over us and in our hearts that we might be received, Lord, the word and be able to take it, Father, to give glory to your name. In Jesus' name, I pray your anointing upon me. Bring uh, to remembrance everything that you want me to speak. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, first of all, thank you for being here. Um, I know that some people have chosen um, out of their own convictions not to be here today, but I'm glad you, that you all are here today. The call. The call upon your life from the Lord, not, about, not from anyone else, but from the Lord. And we've been seeing how... Um, we studied about Abraham and how Abraham received a promise from God. And it was a promise that it was going to develop through the generations. And from him was going to be a nation coming out forth that was going to be a light to the world. And Abraham, uh, as we heard in the second study, had a son. And, and he named him Isaac. And Isaac was to continue with this promise that was given to Abraham about being the father of nations. Um, it was to be passed on through Isaac, and then Isaac gave birth to Jacob, and it was to continue through Jacob, and as we have been seeing these men, and then from there, Jacob had the 12 sons, and one of them was Joseph, and he was sent forth into Egypt as a slave, he was taken as a slave, he was taken captive, and from his journey that he had from Potiphar's house to the prison, he ended up in the palace to be a huge influence to bring deliverance to his people. Now, we see here that generations, it's all about generations. What God promises to one person, can we go to the next slide? It's, it's generations. It's about a long-term promise. It's not something that we're going to see the full effect of the promise immediately upon our lives, but we're going to see that it's going to be a long-term promise that's going to be transferred from generation to generation to generation. And it's all because of the covenant that God made with Abraham. It's because of what he had spoken to him since then. And it was to be transferred from, from generation to generation to generation. Now, when the people of um, descendants of, of Jacob... Listen to this. Last, when, when Picos preached, he talked about how Jacob's name was changed to Israel. If we continue reading in the word of the Lord, throughout the rest of the, of the word, um, every time he refers to Jacob, he still refers to him as Jacob. He doesn't refer to him as Israel. But what was birthed from him was the nation of Israel. And we can see that every time he speaks about the father was the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac, the father of Jacob, he continues calling him Jacob. He continues him addressing him as Jacob. But what is birthed from him becomes Israel. What is birthed from him is the nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel, uh, when Joseph came to be in power in the palace with Potiphar, we heard last, uh, I think it was last Sunday when my husband was talking about Joseph, that he becomes a second in command. And as, as he becomes a second in command, he has um, a lot of influence and he has a lot of power because it's been given to him by Potiphar, but behind that, it's the Lord who's doing things. And the people have come, and they moved to Egypt. The 70 people that are, that are family members, can we go to the next slide? The, the family members that have come 
that were with, with um, Jacob, it says that in, in Exodus 1, it says that 70 were the ones that came to be with, um, with Joseph. Joseph is in power now. So now here's 70 of his relatives that are coming, including his father. And from these 70 that are coming, uh, and they're coming down for comfort. They're coming in the middle of famine. They're coming because in Egypt they can find what they need. They're coming because in Egypt they're being given the best land, the Goshen land. And in Egypt they're going to find the food and they're going to find the comfort that they are seeking. So they come for a time of comfort. But in the midst of this comfort, they start to multiply and they start to multiply and they start to multiply. And the word says in, in Exodus 1-7 that they multiplied greatly and they, they grew exceedingly mighty. They were powerful people. They had an influence. They were, they, were, they were strong people. And the land was filled with them. But in the midst of this time of plenty, in this time of um, a, a good time, you know, where, where everything seems to be going right, where they're having the food, they're having the protection, they're having uh, their relatives in the kingdom, is up in the palace. As they grow and as they multiply and as they grow and as they multiply and as they grow and as they multiply, a new king comes into place. And as this new comes into, into position, this new king doesn't know Joseph. This king doesn't know about the treaty that Joseph had made with the Pharaoh. And he doesn't know. But this new king that comes and takes position and takes the throne, he has fear of the people of Israel. He has fear of the people of Israel because they are strong, because they are mighty, because they are a big, huge group of the population. And they are even more than the Egyptians by this time. And this new king, out of fear, uh, and you know that fear makes us do irrational behavior. I mean, we know now. <laughs> We've always known it, but now I'm sure some of you are witnessing it at the stores. Fear can do it makes you do it makes you act irrationally it makes no sense like like why are people taking tons and tons of toilet paper you know uh, at the stores with what's going on right now and not just that so so much so many other things but fear can make you do irrational things but this king getting back to this part this king here he doesn't know the people of Israel he doesn't he doesn't know Joseph he didn't he didn't have any connection with Joseph so he has come to this position of power, and now he sees these people that are not Egyptians, that are getting mightier than the Egyptians. And because of fear, because of the fear in him, because of the fear that's in him, he starts to, to bring bondage upon the people of Israel. And as in this, in continuing in this chapter 1 of Exodus, where all the story is taking place, he, he puts taskmasters um, to afflict with burdens, and he, 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 he starts putting a lot of burden on the people, and he gets them to work in very hard manners, and he, he makes them serve with rigor. But the more that he is afflicting them, the more that he is uh, making them suffer and making them be in agony, the more the people multiply. So the people keep multiplying, and they keep multiplying, and, and more are, com are coming out. And it's the opposite of what he wants. And he wants to be done with them. He wants to kill them off. He wants to finish them off. But because there is a covenant of God that there's a nation to arise from these people, what the man is doing is not going to prosper, but the Lord is going to have his way. Now, he brings them to a point where their lives are bitter with hard bondage. And they become to a place of desperation. I only have four points today. And this first point is about the, the point of desperation, the point when, where your life has changed to a point where maybe the dreams that you had or what you had planned for your life are not coming through and your life has taken a different turn. It's taken a different turn. And I'm sure when the people of Israel came from, um, from where they were in the land of Canaan to Egypt, when they came and they were received and they were given the best land and they were given the good food, I'm sure they did not have plans that through down through the generations they were going to end up to be slaves. And sometimes our life take a turn for the worse. Or they take a turn that we were not expecting. And they take a turn. And what does that time in our lives do? In the time of despair, despair is loss of hope. Despair is a, a state of hopelessness. In that state of despair is when they start calling on the Lord. Before that, they weren't because they were comfortable. 
They had what they needed. They were okay. They were well-liked. They weren't being persecuted. They were in a state uh, of comfort. But now comes the hard time. Here comes the bitterness. Here comes the bondage. Here comes the rigor. Here comes everything else. And it tells us that this affliction caused the desperation. And then they called on the Lord. And, and they groaned. It says the, the word used here is groaned. Groaned is not even a word. Groaned, I mean, it's not when you speak a word. It's not an utterance of, of a word. Groan is, 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 a, is a, a sound from the gut. It's a sound from deep within. Their affliction was so heavy that it caused a sound from within them to come up. And this sound, this cry came up to God. And God heard it. And in, in, in this chapter it says that God acknowledged it. Hmm, how many of us want to be acknowledged? He didn't just hear it. He acknowledged it. And then it's that they remembered the Lord. God never forgot about them. But then they remembered the Lord. I'm going to move here to step two, isolation. Can we put it up, please? Because the people had groaned, because the people had cried, because the people had once again turned their eyes to seek this God whom they had heard of, this God whom they did not know intimately. But, but because they were groaning and God acknowledges it, then God chooses one to be sent forth, to be prepared to come back to cause the liberation. When a person is going to be used in a strong way to impact a generation, he will go through isolation. When a person has a willing desire to be used of the Lord, to impact a generation, to impact somebody else, to be more than just self, to think about others, God will have a time of isolation. He, here Moses was, was taken to the desert. Now, of course, the circumstance, the, the word says that um, he... He had been birthed, and then um, he was sent in a little basket. The daughter of the Pharaoh finds him, and she raises him as, as her own son. And he grows up in the palace. He grows up as, as one of the royalty. He grows up with all the delicacies and all the comforts and all the richness of the palace. He grows up with the influence of the palace. He, he has a different setting and a different mindset than the, the other people because he had been pulled out. Now, he... he he knows, it doesn't say, but, but the word says that he saw um, the Egyptian striking a Hebrew and he goes and he kills the Egyptian. So I think he must have known that these were his brothers and these were his, his sisters. This was his family. He came from them. And he, he, he kills the Egyptian and then when Pharaoh finds out about the Egyptian, um, he wants to kill him. He wants to kill Moses. So Moses flees to the desert. But we have to know that the word says that everything works together for good for those who love the Lord. And when he flees to the desert, even though he fled for his life, I'm sure he did not imagine what was going to happen in the desert or how long he was going to be in the desert. But in this time of the desert, something happens it's a time where he is stripped. Listen to this, because this happens to each one of us. It is a time where we are stripped, where things are taken away, where, where the influence that we had before, we have to be removed from that influence. We have to be removed from what was part of our lives so that the Lord can strip us and that he can take away what is weighing us down, so that he can take away the burden of the world, so he can take away the cares of the world. And it is a season of confinement for refinement. When we are confined, when we are isolated, when we're going through the desert, it's not for death. It might seem like it. It might seem like the hard times are oh, bitter to us. But, it, but isolation, that time of, of the Lord where he separates us, it is a time of confinement for refinement. Because in that refinement, he is gonna, he's going to strip us down to the essence of what he has made in us, of what he knows we can do, of, what he, of the plans that he has in us. And Moses has been taken because of the cry of the people, because the people have been uttering and groaning and crying that they want to be relieved from the rigor and from the slavery and from, and from all that they are being afflicted with. 
God sends out Moses. Moses is stripped. Moses is being prepared. Moses is, is ready to be, uh, uh, he, he's being prepared for a mission. He's being prepared for a call. And in this time of isolation, he is forced to refocus. He is forced to refocus because now, because the, the, the influence that he had is gone. And remember, he's in the desert 40 years. He was 40 when he left. He stays in the desert 40 years. And he, he's forced to refocus. And because the burden of the past is being removed, now he can look up. And because the burden of the past is being removed, the burden of the world, of the cares that he was living in, is being removed, has been stripped up, has been removed, he can look up. And in looking up is when he sees the supernatural. In looking up is when he sees that bush that is burning, but it's not being consumed. And that supernatural draws him, and he goes up. You know the story. You all have seen the movie that, that's been put out, even though it, it, it's just a not good enough to what the reality is, but it's something that we can have as a visual. But he goes and he sees. It says it was a, a bush that was burning, but was not being consumed. That supernatural draws him, and it draws him close, and it draws him closer. And when he's close enough, then out of the bush comes the voice of God, and he starts speaking to him. And in this, in this time, he can look up now, and he can, he can hear, and he can, he can discern that this is the voice of God. Go to the next slide, please. So we're going to move to point three is impartation. Remember, we went from that point of desperation, that call that goes up, that causes one to be sent forth, to be prepared, that causes one to be uh, sent ahead and be stripped, to be prepared, to be the one to come back. Now, in this point of impartation, Moses is before God and he is listening to him. And remember, Moses has heard about the Lord. But by the time Moses is sent, if we do the math, the people of Israel were in Egypt 400 years. And when Moses was born to when he leaves, it's 40 years. And when he stays in the desert, it's 80 years. So when he comes to deliver, it's about 80 years. So it has been about, it's an approximation, about 320 years that the people have been in Israel already, in, in Egypt already. So by the time Moses is born, he has heard about the Lord. He's heard the stories. He's, he's heard. But now God has to become intimate to him. God has to become his God. And in this point of isolation, God comes and he manifests himself to him. And in this point of, uh, of isolation and that he's up in the desert, God says to him in chapter 3, he says, I am here. Speaking to him, I am here. I am the the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. And I am the God of Jacob. He speaks to him. I am that God. It is me. It is the one that you are listening to. And I know. I have heard the groan. I have heard the crying. I know their sorrows. And to know is not just like a, a, um, a knowledge of it. But a feeling of it. It's a, a, more, a deeper sense of the word no. I know their sorrows. I know what they're going through. I know that they have come up. I mean, they have cried. But then he says in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says, I have come down to deliver them out. I'm sure up to this point, Moses is, is listening and, and he's, he's seeing this, this fire. He's hearing the voice of God. He's, he's presenting, God is presenting himself to him. He's saying, I'm coming down. I have come down to go deliver them. I'm sure that to this point, Moses is, yeah, good. Like, all right, something's happening. But then as we continue reading, right there, just two verses down in chapter, in verse 10, listen to what God says to him. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now God is saying, I will send you. First he says, I have come down to deliver them. And to there, we like it. We like to hear that. God, you're going to come down and deliver the nation. You're going to come down and help the neighbor. You're going to come down and help my son. You're going to come and help. But now God is saying, I send you. God says, I send you. I send you. And, I, and here, here he, he stutters. Here he, he gets a little shaky. Here he, start, he starts rebuttaling. Here he starts doubting. Here he starts saying, I can't talk. Here he says, I, 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 I can't. I'm not equipped. Here he starts doubting the ability that is within him already. 
And he starts biting it and he starts, uh, this is God. And we say, oh, how could Moses rebuttal with God? How many times have we done it? How many times has the Lord has spoken something into our heart? And we have a list of reasons why we cannot do it. And he starts biting God. He starts, I can't, Lord. Like, this mission seems too big for me. This thing, this thing is too way out of my reach. I can't do it. I'm not the one. Send somebody else. I'm not the one. And God says, I send you. And this is where he starts saying, my, um, send somebody else. And, and God is the one who says, your brother, Aaron, I'll use Aaron with you. Aaron will be your mouth and you will be like a God to him. But then he says, he says to, to Moses, what is in your hand? And he had a shepherd's staff. That's what he had. That rod that he had was just a shepherd's staff. He, and he tells him, uh, you, know, you know the story. How he says, throw it to the ground. It becomes a snake. He picks it up by, by the tail. And that rod that he had in his hand already. And, he, and then he says, put your hand in, inside your bosom. It becomes, takes, takes it out, becomes a... Um, Leprosy, and then he, he puts it back in and it's out. Now, now it's clean. But right here, the word that really stood out to me as I was studying this is that God tells them in, in chapter 4, verse 12, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. And then he says, I, I will be with your mouth. I will, in, in verse um, 15, says, I will be with your mouth and his mouth and teach you what you shall do. When we are in the midst of doubt, when we are in the midst of, of that time that, that we're fighting with God and we're not sure what we're supposed to do, God says to us, I will teach you what to do and I will teach you what to say. It's very clear. He's walking with you. He will, he will teach us. He will tell us. And, and right here, he receives the burden of God. He receives the influence of God. As I was studying this word, I tell you, it spoke to me. It, it just really ministered to me. And the word of the Lord, as I was listening to him and he was speaking to me, he told me this phrase. This is not from a book. This is something that he says. He says, I cannot place my burden upon people who still carry the burden of the world. Listen to this. I cannot place my burden upon people who still carry the burden of the world. Moses had to be stripped. Moses had to be completely stripped. And that's how we feel sometimes. How many in our walk, sometimes we have felt as if we have been stripped. Like everything's been taken away. And it's for a purpose because it is then that the Lord can come and place his burden upon you. It is then that he can come and place his burden upon us. And his burden, let me tell you, is always for people. Whatever the call is, it's always, the burden is always for the sake of others. The burden is always to help others. The burden is always for people because the heart of God is love for his people. So that burden cannot be placed on us until the burden, until the cares of this world are stripped off. And when that is removed, when we can release it unto the Lord, when we can, can believe that he's going to take care of everything, he starts putting his burden in our heart. And then he tells Moses, go, take the rod, go with the rod. And as we read in, in, in Exodus 4.20, it says Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Hmm, funny, it's, now a shepherd. It's, not, it's no longer a shepherd's staff. Now it's called the rod of God. From then on, it was called the rod of God. Because now he's coming out with the might of God, with the power of God. It is, it, the, the verse tells us that the yoke that God gives us in Matthew 11.30, it says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the, that's the burden that God gives us. It's light. It's not going to weigh us down. We can carry his burden. And Zechariah 4.6 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So Moses now is coming with the rod of God. 
He's coming in the spirit of God. He's coming in the power of God. He's coming with God himself. And with God, he is going to be able to do the unbelievable. He's going to do the impossible. He's going to do the things that God is calling him out to do. I want to move on to our next step. Point four is liberation. So we've gone from the first one, which is a place of desperation that comes the voice comes to the Lord. The Lord sends one ahead. And he sends one to be prepared, to be stripped, to carry the burden, to come back. And now we get to the point of liberation. Now liberation, uh, it comes from the word liberate. It means to set free as from imprisonment or bondage. It means, it means to free a, a nation or an area from control by a foreign or oppressive government. Any time that the Lord calls people to move or a person to move, it is always for the deliverance of others. It is always for the deliverance of others. In the story of Moses, it was for the people that were enslaved in Egypt. And I'm sure you all have seen that movie about Moses, and we see it during the Passover. And we see the, the people all skinny, and they're all full of mud, and they're... They're in chains and they're stomping on the mud, making bricks. They're carrying loads. They're building cities. They're building big buildings. And, and we say, well, I don't see that around me today. I don't see people all full of mud. I, I don't see people chains on their legs, shackles on their arms. But people, nonetheless, are enslaved. And they're enslaved in their mind. They're enslaved. They're trapped. And they're, they're enslaved. They're, they're, they're captured in their mind. And God is calling us out to go and help people be delivered so that they too can move. First, we are answering the call so that we can move because this part is Moses' move. So this is so that how can we move? But, but we are also called to go help others move and get to where they are being called to go. Um, he always sends someone ahead. Now, the, now as I said, this, this new generation that, of Israel that were, that were hundreds of years were passing and more, baby, more babies, more and more people growing up. This new generation did not know God. They had only heard of him. They had only heard of him. They didn't know him. And, and these people, because they didn't know him, when, when God sends Moses to the people and he starts performing all the, all the different miracles and one. And wonders and the signs and, and the, the blood, the water turning into blood and everything that happened, those nine plagues. It wasn't just for Pharaoh. Sometimes we read and we misread or we just read on top. It wasn't just for Pharaoh. It was so that his people could get to know him. It wasn't just for Pharaoh. It was so that his children that for 400 years had been growing up and they had only heard about him. But now it was time that they come face to face with this God who is going to take them out. But first he has to show his power. First he has to show who he is to his people. And, and as he works with these people, and these people needed to see the power. They needed to develop a trust in this God who was going to use this one man to get him out of this nation. And they had forgotten Listen to this. They had forgotten that they belonged to God because of the covenant. They were the people of God. How many times we forget that we are belonging to God. We, we belong to him. We are his people. And we act like slaves when we are his. And, and, and they had forgotten that they belonged to the Lord. That they were the nation of God. And they had come to a point where they had settled for less. They had settled for less. They were, they were, they were, they were in this state where they were slaves. They were, they were oppressed. They were suppressed. They were, they were put under. And, and this is the point where they began, they began to believe the lie. They began to believe it. How many times when a circumstance is, is crucial and a circumstance for, goes on for, for a long time and we begin to, to believe the lie that Satan is feeding to us. They began to believe the lie. But th this lie is, is a, um, a stronghold in our mind. 
and the people that we are called to go forth and help and empower and set free, we have strongholds in the mind. There's strongholds in our mind. And I want to talk to you right now. What is a stronghold? Hmm? What is a stronghold? Now, in the Greek, if you go back into the original, in the Greek it says it's, it's called okoroma. It's, it's a fortress. It's a citadel. It's a, a castle. But it's something that is built to keep people out. It's, 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 it's to keep people out. But even within that wall, inside there's a prison. And that prison is to keep people in. And that, that stronghold, uh, to, to make it something that we can understand, it's, it's, it's a place of arrest that feels real to you. Anything that feels real to me, that arrests me, that is holding me down. And it is, it is um, anything that stops you from advancing, anything that stops you from moving forward in your life, that's a stronghold. Now, a, a stronghold is a lie that seems real. A stronghold is when your, um, your self-image has been hampered, there's a stronghold. If your self-image has been hampered, there's a stronghold. If you think that you are defective, there's a stronghold. If you think that that you're not gifted, there's a stronghold. If you think that you're not good enough, there's a stronghold. If you think that you're not worthy, there's a stronghold. If you think that you are dumb, there's a stronghold. If you think anything that you think, that you think that stops you from moving, stops you from doing, stops you from going, there's a stronghold in the mind. And if you think that you can't do it, that, that whatever is, is being told to you to do that you can't do it, there's a stronghold. It's in the mind. So, so I want to talk right now about how is a stronghold built? If we know that we have strongholds, how was that stronghold built? How was, it, how was it put up? How was it built in our minds? How did it happen? I want to tell you that, that there's six points that I want to cover. There's a lot more, but I want to resume it to these six points. And, and listen to this carefully because I am sure that it has happened to each one of us. This is how it's built. The devil begins to attack your mind and your emotions. This is a direct attack from the enemy. He begins to attack your mind. He begins to tell you things that are contrary to the word of God. He begins to tell you the opposite of what, of what the word of God is speaking. Now the word devil, the word devil in the Greek is diabolos. This is where we get our Spanish word diablo. It, it comes from the Greek. It means diabolos. And it, it, comes, it comes from two parts. The word dia and bolos. And the word dia means penetration and bolos means to strike repeatedly. And the picture that it paints is that one who strikes repeatedly until successfully penetrating an object to ruin it, to affect it, or to take it captive, to slander, to accuse, to defame, to penetrate by continuous assault, and to ensnare it with a net. So the word devil is actually the description of Satan. It's a description. It's a description. And his description, is his job is to penetrate by striking repeatedly. Not once. By striking at your mind through thoughts repeatedly and repeatedly. And once he begins to assault your mind by telling you contrary to what the word of God says, then he brings in reinforcements to support the mental and emotional attack. He brings in the reinforcements. By that, he'll use the voice of others to speak the same thing that he is already starting to put in your head. And the sad thing is that sometimes this assault begins at a young age. It begins with children. You're dumb. You're a clown. You're this, you're that. And you start labeling. And the, the idea starts being formed in the head. And then others come in support. Because listen, we have in our mouth the power of life and death. And we speak either life, which is God's word and what he says about people. Or we speak lies, which is the voice of Satan himself. And we speak the opposite of what God is saying. Be careful, Christians. What you are saying to other people. What you are calling them with your mouth. Because either you are repeating the word of God or you are repeating the word of Satan. There's no in between. So he uses reinforcements to support what he is speaking because the thoughts that come to us, we, we have to sift them. We have to discern them. Is it from God? I speak it and release it. If not, I bind it and I cast it out. Now, then in, in, in number three, we begin to have life experiences that support and reinforce that lie. 
we begin, I, I've been called dumb so much that I begin to have an experience of, of acting like that. Or, I, or I'm called you know, any different word, like I'm, I'm, I'm mean, I'm evil, I'm hateful. Uh, and and uh, that begins to manifest in real life. And then number four, influential voices begin to speak the same thing that the devil says. Now it comes to a point where not just our, our co workers or peers or, or fellow students, but now it's a time when people in influence start calling you the same things because they are repeating what the, the voice that's now being planted in them to call you. So it's, as I said, it's, it, it's diabolos, bolos means to strike repeatedly over and over and over. So he will strike through his voice. He will strike through your parents' voice. He will strike through your coworkers. He will strike through your teacher. He will strike through your principal. He will strike through people in authority. He will strike and he will strike and he will strike and he will strike. And then number five, you begin to release your faith. You believe, you begin to believe, to release your faith is to believe. You begin to believe the lie that is working in your head that you hear day by day. You begin to believe that lie. This is how the stronghold is being built. You begin to believe it. You begin to believe it. And it's, it, it comes and you begin to believe it because faith, you can, you can believe the real or you can believe the, what's not real. It's still faith. It takes faith to believe what is real, but it takes faith to believe what is not real. So he, he will start with the influential voices in, in, in our lives to reinforce his lie. And then that lie begins to, to transition from the mind to reality. It becomes a reality. It's, it's starting to become a reality, that stronghold. And when that happens, the devil, this is point seven, the devil has taken you hostage and he builds a stronghold in your mind and he begins to rule like a wicked tyrant dominating your life. But why? Why does he want to build strongholds in our mind? Have you asked yourself why? Why does he want to do it? You know why? He doesn't want us to move. He wants to stop us. He wants to keep you from believing whom God says you are and from doing what God says you can do. That is why the strongholds are built. You see, you and I, we're built in the image and the likeness of God. And when we are renewed in our spirit, when we are birthed from, from in, a, in a new spirit with him, all the potential that we carry, the dominion that we have, the authority that we have. But the enemy does not want us to know and believe that. He wants to keep us captivated that we are nothing, that we are no good, that we are trash, that we are unworthy. Because when we believe, we stand up and we move and we go and we do and we say what God is telling us to do. That's why he wants to entrap. And that's why God wants our mind. The devil wants our mind, but God wants our mind. And that's why in Romans 12, 2, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind has to be renewed. And it is with the concept of this holy word. It is, it is with the application of his word. And when we believe God, our attitude is going to change. We are not going to be a victim anymore. We are not going to be a victim. Because this is what I'm seeing all around, especially right now. Mentality of victim. Victim mentality. Poor me. Poor me. I'm going to get sick. I'm not going to have food. Mentality victim. I am more than a conqueror. I have dominion. I have authority. I am in his likeness and his image. I have the power of life in my mouth. I believe what he says. And he, the enemy, will always try to stop you. You'll try, try to, to hold you because, boy, if we believe. Think of this. If we believe all this word, how would your life be? If we believe it, not just read it, believe it, how will our life be? How will our talk be? What will be our actions? You see, he, he does this. It, it's, it's, the stronghold is built to keep you. So if the stronghold is there, how do you break out? Hmm? If it's there, what's the solution? How do we break out? Because we can break out. I'm going to tell you. We can break out. How do we break out? We believe and apply the word. The Holy Spirit can demolish it. 
But it is through believing and applying this word. Not just hearing it. We've got to become doers of it. Acts 10.38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is Jesus Christ. Have you thought of it? We know that God is triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But here it says Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. If he had that anointing, we need that anointing. The Holy Spirit with power. Now the word oppressed here, because it says he was healing all who were oppressed. The word oppressed, it comes from a Greek word. And the Greek word is kata dunasteo. And it doesn't matter too much what it, what it, how it's pronounced, but what it means. It means, uh, it, it carries the idea, um, it pictures, I won't tell you what it pictures. It's compounded by two words, but it pictures a wicked tyrant who rules over his subjects. Bullying. With cruelty, despotism, dictatorship, oppressiveness, and tyranny. That's oppression. But the one who can come and break that oppression, break that rule, break that tyrant, is the power of the Holy Ghost in us. And not only like in a super magical way. And, and it's the power. He has the power to demolish it. But he gives us the weapons because Jesus is in us. Holy Ghost is in us. So he gives us the weaponry of how we are to use those weapons. It's not just asking. And yes, we have to ask Holy Spirit, demolish the, the strongholds in us. But it's going to take steps. It's going to take action. It's going to take our believing and applying the word into our lives. Ephesians 6 says that, that God has given us the weaponry. We have the weapons that we need to demolish. In Ephesians 6, I'm going to read it. It's chapters to, uh, verses 10 through 18. It's not up on the screen because I wanted you to hear. I wanted you to, to listen to the scripture. It says in 6.10, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now this word wiles, before I continue, because sometimes we read it but we don't even know what it means. What does the word wiles mean? The wiles of the devil, listen to this because this is powerful. As I was studying it, it helped me so much. It means, it comes from two words, from meta. Uh, it means with and horos, it means a road. So it pictures, listen to this, it pictures one who travels on or operates on a specific road or avenue. It carries the idea of direction, plan, and purpose. Wilds means traveling with direction, traveling with purpose. He has a destiny, he has a plan of approach, a plan of attack. The wilds of the devil is the enemy coming with a, with a plan to attack our minds. And he knows how he's going to do it. And he plans his steps and he's going to attack our minds. It's purposeful. It's not coincidental. It's very purposeful. So, so we are to stand against the wilds of the devil. And as we stand against the wilds of the devil, um, in verse 12... For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rules of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you, and here he starts talking about the whole armor of God. Here he starts talking about we are to gird ourselves with truth, the belt of truth. You know what that means? Every day we discern our actions and our thoughts with this belt of truth. Am I thinking, is it truth? If it's not, detest it and throw it away. Cast it out. Detest it. You, you, you gird yourself with truth. I do this every single morning in my devotion. I come before the Lord, the Lord and I say, Lord, before your presence, I dress myself with your armor. I put it on and I decree it and I say it. And it's, just, it's not just words. For me, it's more than words. It's an actual application of what he is saying for me to do. I gird myself with truth. And I try the rest of the day to make my decisions based on truth. And what is not truth, I cast it. Cast it means to grab it and throw it. You throw it like when you cast a net, when you cast a, a, a fishing rod, you know, you cast it. And it's throwing it away. It's getting it away from you. And then after that, it's the breastplate of righteousness. I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. And when the enemy comes to tell me that I am unworthy, I say, you liar. I am the righteousness of God. 
because I am dressed in the robes of Jesus Christ. And then it says, prepare your feet with the gospel of peace. And to prepare, you need to be studying his word. You need to be getting into his word. And you have to be ready because as you give the word, that word brings healing in you. As you release his word, that word edifies you. It's a weapon. And then put on the helmet of salvation. Know that you are sanctified. You are justified. You are healed because healing is in salvation. You put on that helmet of salvation to know that you belong to God. You pick up the, the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the devil. You pick up faith and you, you hold on to this faith. When things are spoken to you that seem hopeless, you have the faith to continue. You have to, the faith to quench out the darts of unbelief. And then you, you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God in our mouth. It's in our mouth. We speak the Word. The Word is going to cost something in people. The Word is going to cost something in us. When I feel in my emotions defeated and down and out, I speak to myself. It might sound weird. I really don't care. I speak to myself and I say, Pati, that's a lie. In Jesus, you are more than victorious. In Jesus, you are a conqueror. In Jesus, you can do it. And I speak to myself the word of God. And not, not only do I speak it to myself, I release it to Satan. I don't come against Satan with my thoughts. I come against Satan with God's word. Because that is what Jesus taught me to do. All this is weaponry. Weaponry that will help us to, to tear down those strongholds. And then it doesn't end there. You keep reading right there in Ephesians 6. It says, praying in the spirit, interceding for others. It's the lance of intercession. Uh, the lance of intercession. That's what I call it. It's like a lance because you're sending it forth. It's prayer being sent forth for others. You know, that's part of the weaponry. So we take all this weaponry. We use the weapons that God has given us. And then we have to know that if Satan is coming to attack our minds, whatever controls our thinking is going to control our emotions. Whatever controls your thinking during the day is going to control your emotions. And whoever controls your thinking and your emotions, they will determine your self-image. And they can manipulate you like a puppet. And I'm talking here about the demonic. If they control our mind, they will, they will manipulate our lives like a puppet. And they can determine what you project to others. And whatever controls your head controls your mind. So those strongholds must be brought down. They have to be brought down. And they come... They come down with the power of the, of, the, of the mighty spirit within us, but the application of his word, doing what he is telling us to do. And then we have to know that God becomes our partner. God becomes our partner. We can demolish these, these strongholds in our mind. We have to use divine strategy. The word warfare, it says it is a warfare, but warfare is a, a strategic method, knowing what weapons to use and how to use them. And, and it's strategic. So God's ways are strategic. It's not... Let's see how it happens. It's very strategic. We ask the Lord for a strategic plan on how to, to start applying his word. And, and we are to 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, for casting down arguments of it, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You see, the word mighty is dunamis. It's power, and it's power from above. And we have this available to us to, pr to bring down all these strongholds. But it's going to be a consistent pulling down of the stronghold, a consistent uh, brick by brick bringing down. We can't give up. We have to, to be at it every day, consistently bringing it down and building up with the word of God. Consistently tearing down the stronghold. If it's brick by brick, we do it brick by brick, step by step, so that we can be totally free. I want to ask you the question that I asked you at the beginning. What is the call of God on your life? What is the call of God on your life? 
And sometimes we make it so difficult. We want to think, well, is it, maybe it's going to be a pastor or a prophet or, or, or an evangelist or a teacher. No. What is the call in your life today for now? For some of us, it's simply get up and pray. You haven't been praying. The call of God is saying to you, get up out of your comfort. Get up. Get out of those blankets. Get up and pray. For others, it might be stop looking at pornographic images. What is the stronghold? For others, it might be make it to church every time the church doors are open. For others, it might be stop gossiping. What is the stronghold in your, in your life? But then what is the call? The call, the, the, the divine call, the higher calling. What is, he, what is he telling us to do? Because it is, we are to get to the place that he wants us one step at a time. It happens one step at a time. And before you know it, you look back and you will have seen what God has done in your life. We have been pastoring 32 and a half years. We've seen a lot. We've heard a lot. And we've heard the voice of the Lord. And when he tells us to do something, something is contrary. Sometimes it's contrary to logic. Sometimes logic wants to hold it down. And we have to go above and beyond and believe what he has spoken. What is the call of life on your life? What is he telling you to do right now? Because we are all at different levels. We are all at different stages. My call, the call for, of God for my life right now might be totally different from the call of, for, of God on your life at this moment. Where does he, what is the next step he wants you to take? What is the next level he wants to take you? What is the call of life on your life? And then the next question I want to ask is, what lie has incarcerated you? Hmm? Only you can know. What lie has incarcerated you? What lie is holding you back from going to the next level? What lie is holding you back from taking the next step that God is telling you to take? What lie is holding you back? What words that have been spoken to your life from people have defeated you, have made you believe that you can't do what you are called to do? What is holding you back? What is not allowing you to advance? The next slide. What is holding you back? What is it that is, that is not allowing you to advance? I want to tell you today that you can choose to move on. You can choose. No one can choose for you. I, my heart and, and, and my husband's, you have no idea how we pray for you. That you mature, that you grow up, that you get to know the Lord intimately. That you can feel the passion of the Lord. That you can know him. But you see, we can pray for you, but only you can choose to move on. We can't move for you. We pray for you. We teach you the word. But only you can choose to move on. It's a choice. I'm here to tell you, it's a choice. You choose to stay where you are or you choose to move on. And if you choose to move on, devil, get out of the way because you are made in the image and likeness of God. You have dominion. You have authority. You have power. You have weaponry. You have what it takes to pull everything down and to move on. We have to believe what God says about you. Because that is the truth. What the word says about you, what the word says about me, that's the truth. It's not what my ex-wife spoke to me or what my stepmother spoke to me or what my principal said to me or what my husband tells me now. It's what God, God's word says to me. That's who I am. And that's what I can do. So that's what I can speak. We have to observe the steps of Moses. You know, John 8, 32 says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. 
The truth of his word makes us free. You see, Moses had to know the truth of who he was. Moses had to know the truth of what God saw in him and what God said he could do. Moses saw the supernatural. The supernatural drew him. And as he drew him, he listened. And as he listened, he fought. He struggled. Sometimes it doesn't come that easy. You struggle, you fight. But ultimately, he obeyed. He believed. He took the steps. And he went out. And he was able to bring liberation to a people that were enslaved. And he took over, it was millions because just the men alone were 600,000. And there's the, there's the women and there's the children. And there's the other foreigners that came out as well. And now it was time for them to go to the desert. What do you think happened in the desert? The process starts all over again. You know why? To bring their identity. To pull out their identity. Because they had been taken out of Egypt, but now Egypt had to be taken out of them. I want you to close your eyes right now. Just close your eyes. I'm not going to say to whom did this word minister to. Because I know for a fact that all of us have struggled with strongholds. And all of us, because we are God's children, we are called to move. We are called to move. We are called to advance. We are called to go to higher levels. And I just want to pray for you right now. And if you want to put this hand on your head, that's where the struggles are. Just do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, I come to you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, for your people and myself as well. Father, I just pray today that every stronghold, Lord, that has been holding back your children from going to the next level, from going to the next step, from becoming, from being who God says, who you say they are, be brought down by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you empower them to apply the word, to believe the word, to take action, Lord, to take steps, Lord. You need us to be strong and mighty and powerful. You need your church, Lord, right now to arise in the midst, Lord, of darkness. Right now, I just pray, Holy Spirit, work in each one of us. Break the strongholds. And in the name of Jesus, with the authority you have given to me, Lord, I speak and I say that every negative word that has been spoken to these minds, every word that has defeated them, every word that has been contrary to your word and is a lie, today it falls in the name of Jesus. I say, Lord, that every negative word, Lord, that has ever come into their ears, Lord, from people they love, from people who knew them, from people who had influence in them, those negative words will not no longer have an effect on them. I decree, Lord, your freedom in their minds. That they will be set free, Father, set free to accomplish heavenly purposes, to birth, Lord, what you are calling us to birth. To bring your kingdom to this earth. To allow your will to be done beginning with our lives. Father, I pray for freedom. As you spoke one day, there will be freedom at freedom. These were your words, Lord. There will be freedom at freedom. I pray, Lord, for freedom in our minds. Freedom. Freedom from the past. Freedom from the hurts. Freedom from the hang-ups. Freedom, Lord. That we might be renewed in your strength, in your spirit, in your power. Oh, Lord, that this church can arise. This church can be, Lord, glorious. This church can be full of your glory and your power. Because, Lord, we believe your word. I just pray, Father, 
that this word continue working in our lives. This word continue as we go home, Father, that it will not just be churches over and, and that's it. No, this word, Lord, I send it as an assignment today to continue working, Father, that each one of us will be able to take a stand over the enemy. Father, I thank you and I praise you. I thank you, Lord, for the plans that you have for each one of us individually and as a whole corporately, Father. And I just pray, Lord, your blessing this week. I pray, Father, that even now, Lord, if, if there's a stronghold of fear in your people, in the name of Jesus, we bring it down. Even now, Lord, today, Lord, with just with things that are going around, I pray, Lord, uh, just an assurance of your word, of who you are and what you say you are for us. I pray today, Lord, that, that there will be a revelation, Lord, more than a knowledge, but a